Good evening. Happy New Year, Cuse Nation, or is it a happy New Year? Welcome to the Upstate Orange Podcast on FingerLakes1.tv. I'm Jim Sinecropi, live inside the FingerLakes1.com studios in downtown Seneca Falls, New York. Sunday night, January 1st, 2017. And what is going on in Cuse Nation? I mean, what's going on? I've followed this program for 30 years. And I've never seen anything like this. Has it been 30? Has it been more than 30 years? I went to a ga- couple games at Manly Fieldhouse. I've never seen anything like this. I mean, getting blown out at home by St. John, just giving up the worst defense I've seen. I mean, it's embarrassing. It's unprecedented. We're going to talk all about that. We're going to go 10 big topics this week instead of five. We're going 10. And we got some great orange trivia when we're joined by the Professor Brad Connor in just a moment. The Upstate Orange Podcast is brought to you by Generations Bank with locations in Auburn, Farmington, Geneva, Phelps, Seneca Falls, Union Springs, and Waterloo. Be sure to check out their mobile banking app or visit them online at mygenbank.com. So, Brad, um, what do you think? I mean, <laughs> this is this, um, this is unprecedented. I tried to think of... Other years that were bad years, even last year at this point, we were like, oh, maybe a little bit later in the season, we were like, oh, man, this is the worst team Mayhem's had. But that team won the battle for Atlantis and had some quality wins. Go back to some of like the Deshaun Williams years. Nothing is like this. This is like ridiculous. This is unbelievable. It's. I've been a Syracuse fan for roughly 36 years, maybe 38 years, somewhere in there. It's as bad as it's been at any point during that time, period. Now, there's no – I can't even think of a, of a year that rivals it, honestly, at this point. It's, and it's not the losses, but it's just the fact that there's these games that they just really aren't even competitive in. Again, Today, they weren't competitive. No. Against a bad Boston College team. Let's not kid ourselves. That's not a good basketball team. They looked good today. But they don't have a lot on their resume other than this one today. And I'm not sure how much that <laughs> is in the positive for them either, really. They weren't competitive against St. John's at all. They, the only reason they were competitive against UConn is because that's one of the worst teams in the country this year. Yeah. I mean, this is, I, I, that, that's the part I don't get. I, I can understand the losses. It's just the way in which these losses are happening. You know, the lose against Georgetown on Pearl Day in the Dome – I mean that's that's an excuse. Like it's just the, it's the quality of these losses. It's not just the losses themselves. That's the part that really, really, as a Syracuse fan and somebody that's followed the program for a long time, that's the part that's really disturbing to me. Yeah, they're not um, just losing. They're getting blown out, and they're not getting blown out by Duke or Kentucky. They're getting or Louisville. They're getting blown out by Boston College. They hadn't won a league game since 2015. But now they have against us. And St. John's. 60-some days, I think they said. A couple of times they said it. I tried not to listen to it when they said it. It hurt me to hear. Well, Because you knew when they said it that it was just a matter of time that that streak was going to end. Yeah, and it didn't take long. It was I, I felt like three minutes in that game that we were going to lose. I mean, I really did. <laughs> when I you and like, I shared our first text. <laughs> yeah, it's really. Uh, it was about three minutes in. <laughs> not a great way to ring in the new year, that's for sure. And we got a lot of, like I said, ten topics tonight. We're going instead of five because we're so upset. 
So let's get right into it. And first is the question on everybody's mind is like, how can this team be that bad early in the preseason? We Beheim said this is his best team he's had in a while. And you can understand if he was uh, we we're all off by a little bit, you know, but it's like total opposite this is direction. It's like implosion city. It's like you can't bring this much talent in and lose games like this. You know, how what's going on? How can they be this bad? I, I part of it I think it, it and we've been around sports a long time, and you see teams that, you know, momentum carries them both positively and negatively. And this team, I think this team is really, really shattered from a confidence standpoint. I think when they when they get into some of these games, I think they, they're sort of defeated going into it. You know, I don't see the body I, – I, it's body language. And you see, you see that on a basketball court more than any other sport, which is why we love basketball so much. You can just – it brings out the personality and players, and you sort of see it, and they wear it on their on their sleeves, I guess you could say. With this team, I mean, you can see what what they're about, right or wrong. And I mean, there, there's a lot of intangibles that this team is missing. Period. Um, you know, and the credit to the announcers today, Corey Alexander, I think, was doing the color, and he mentioned it a couple of times that this team sort of lacks toughness. Yeah, they get down, and they don't seem to have that element that can bring them back like it just sort of their shoulders slump a little bit they try and do a little too much and they dribble it off their leg or they force a bad pass or they go barreling in on a one-on-four and turn it over like they just they don't have anyone that's steady that they that can just just calm things down and this i mean this team misses mike benajay way more than i think we ever thought they would and it also misses trevor cooney too you know, he was the heart and soul of that team. Say what you will about what he produced on the floor. He was tough. But he was he was a leader on that team. He period. was the toughness. And this team does not have that at all. Yeah, and you know, continuity wise, there's so many new faces. Like we just assumed, oh, we're gonna reload with all but there's so many new faces that don't know the system or have played outside the system or have been asked to take on bigger roles, like really across the roster. You know, we assumed that um, Andrew White was going to come in and uh, and you know be a more well-rounded player. I think, and like we assumed that John Guillen was going to come in and you know run the offense, but you know he's not suited to run this offense because I don't know what this offense is except for a bunch of high ball screens, and so you get all these new faces, and then you talk about the two-three zone. Um, that's to me is the biggest reason why that we're so bad. We gave up ninety six points to Boston College. We're giving we giving up way too many points because we're just not even getting out on any shooters. And I'm talking about Gian Howard. I'm talking about Andrew White. White. I'm talking about Tyus Battle. I'm talking about our all our guards and our wing forwards. Nobody's playing that zone defense the way it's supposed to be played. And and we're just you give any team in the country, any division three team in the country open shots and they're gonna hit the open shots and we give up open shot after open shot. So to me it's the zone and to me it's all the new faces. It's just you never know what you're going to get when you get that much turnover because we're not replacing these new faces aren't top ten recruits like Kentucky's cycling through every year with new faces. Our guys um, generally need you know a little bit of seasoning. You know we're lucky to get one or two guys a year like a Tyler Lydon last year and even Malachi Richardson. Um, you know Carmelo Anthony obviously that are ready to go right out the gate, but too many new faces. I think that's why we're we're bad, and too many new faces who don't understand how to play defense at Syracuse. They yeah, could... I think you raise a good point because you could also you could make the counter argument while well, Kentucky does it every year, but you're right, they're getting elite level athletes 
Syracuse has never thrived on that. That's never been their their mo. That's they've they have brought guys in that maybe are slightly under the radar and put them into a system where they can play as a unit and thrive over the course of time. And you're right with this team, they haven't had the opportunity to sort of germinate together. They're sort of figuring out as they go. And when you're playing against other teams that either have elite level athletes or have played together a while, you're going to have those struggles. And that's what we're seeing with this group. They don't know what their guy next to them is doing on defense. You know, the rotations aren't solid on defense. They, they're not paying attention to the high post to the to the degree that they need to. They're not getting out on shooters. Oh, um, it's sickening how easily they're picked apart to get open shot after open shot after. Yeah, open I mean, shot. I thought we, you know, we saw that again against Wisconsin. You remember at the beginning of the year, and they, you know, they they they're a well coached team, and they, you know, had had some some very quality guys that they had in in you know the right spots, but. The blueprint has has been made pretty obvious, and and it wasn't just Wisconsin doing it with superior athletes. Now you see everybody doing it. Yeah, and it's a big difference between Wisconsin and Boston College and St. John's. I mean, that's the that's the right. issue for me is the these team what these teams were making them we're making them look like uh, you know an all American team of all Americans out there just rolling over us. Uh, and, yeah. it, and it hurts because it's Boston. Boston College hurts because I hate Boston College, and we never lose to them. We always kill them, and that hurts. But, you know, it also is a little egg in the face to lose to Georgetown, to UConn, to St. John's, to the former Big East schools where, where, that we left along, you know, after Boston College and Virginia Tech and Pittsburgh. We, we leave, and the Big East is thriving. Um, UConn's really the only one that's been devastated by that the breakup of the Big East. I bet you they wish they could be in that Big East conference with Villanova. Um, and, you know, and Caleb Joseph is sitting on sitting a year out at Creighton right now. He's probably looking back laughing at this Syracuse team. His team's 8-1. They're only lost to Villanova, the number one team in the country. And, and that, that league is, is awesome, and we're sitting here flailing in, in the Big East. But, you know, we got to get through some more of these topics. So let's jump right to the second one. And you got to ask yourself because it's such an aberration. Is is there some? Did the NCAA sanctions play some role in this? I mean, it certainly hurt our program. Um, we see that with the, some of the recruits that have chosen to go elsewhere in the past couple of years. But um, you know, I don't know if if that's just. You know, we assume that we we're strong, the program was strong enough to survive it, but maybe we weren't. Is this a result of NCAA sanctions? I feel like it's got to have something to do with it. And it's not just this year, Jim. I mean, think about, take that, you know, wonderful three-week stretch from last March out of the equation. And this team is in a bad way for a couple of years now. You know, last year they were not a good basketball team for a good portion of the season. And up until Selection Sunday, we thought they were out. And, and they probably, a, a very strong case could be made that they didn't deserve to be in the tournament. They weren't good last year. They're even worse this year, and it's you know Beheim always plays his you know six, seven, eight guys. He went seven deep today. Didn't even didn't even go any further than that. And we always say, well, that's fine. They don't need the scholarships because you know he's going to play seven guys anyway. Yeah. But you better be darn good at bringing the right guys in at the right spots if you're only given a minimum allotment of scholarships. And I don't, and I, I, I think it's hurting him. There's he no room for mistakes. Yeah. He said last year he wouldn't have played Tyler Roberson as much as he did if he had a different, if he had anybody else to go to. 
So Roberson played, and he eventually did pretty well in the, in the tournament. This year, he feels like he has other options. Roberson didn't play, played, played today, played pretty well. But they don't have any other options at, at, at point guard. You're stuck with Frank Howard or John Gillen, and, and neither have been successful in these, in these high-profile games at all. You know, Gillen's attacking the rim, but he's six foot tall. I mean, he's not going up against big guys. And yeah. Frank Howard, who knows what's going on with them? Yeah, he he made a turnover earlier in the game that was just ridiculous. You know the one yeah. I'm talking about. He drove the lane and kicked it out right. You know, the guy was waiting for it. And yeah, um, but yeah, well, I think it 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 it, it's, it hamstrings them in terms of depth. It truly does. I I I I believe that. And you're right. I you you mentioned that. I think other coaches are using it to recruit against Syracuse. Syracuse's incoming class is not not highly acclaimed, and I think that's got that's got something to do with it. Yeah, I. It's definitely a recruiting tool to use against Syracuse. Um, now that we're on the other side of it, maybe not so much. But you know what's a recruiting tool to use against Syracuse is hey, let me show you some game tape of Syracuse against St. John's at home. <laughs> Let me show you a game tape against Syracuse Boston. You really want to go to school that's going to get blown out by Boston College? Well, and, and two, it's not the result so much as you watch them on offense, and it's just stagnant. It's just slow. It's just passing around the perimeter and wait to jack up a three. They attacked the rim a little bit in the second half when it became sort of a little bit more street ball, and they were you know down 20, and, and anybody could kind of do whatever. But, you know, the St. John's game, it was bad. Even in the games where they're going, where they're doing well, they they're still perimeter oriented, and it's not a it's not a fun offense to watch. It's just how you said it: high ball screens and trying to take your guy off the dribble. And you want to talk about jacking up threes? That brings us to our third topic. Um, you know, Andrew White is just a three point gunner. He doesn't really do much else. And and you know, Bayheim would seem to I don't know be a little harder on some other guys. The exhibit the type of behavior that Andrew White's exhibiting for us, but you know he seems like he can just sit out there and throw up ill-advised three-pointer after ill-advised three-pointer all game long, give a ha- lackluster half-assed effort on defense, and um, and really come nowhere near the rebounding numbers that he had when he was at Nebraska or assist numbers for that fact, you know. And I don't know if it's a product of him running this offense with more talent around him. But Nebraska is a Big Ten school. He plays big schools, and he had great rebounding and assist averages when there. Here at Syracuse, he just is a spot-up three-point shooter. Not even spot-up because he doesn't wait to spot up. He just gets the ball and throws it up at the rim. And when he's wide open and set, he's one of, probably one of the best shooters in college basketball. But that doesn't happen very often because we're not getting open shots off, our, off, off, you know, off of the, if you want to call it an offense that we're running. Well, yeah, and, and you saw what St. John's did to him. They played a box and one on him and shadowed him everywhere on the court. Couldn't get a shot off, scored, what, two points maybe in that game? He, he's, he's very easy to shut down if you, if you focus your defense on him. And I think that's going to be very, very difficult for Syracuse to, to overcome from a scoring standpoint once they, once they start playing uh, you know, the better teams in the ACC. Boston College didn't do that as much today. <laughs> they didn't need to, I guess. Um, I was pleased that White a few times did take the ball and score, you know, at the rim today. That was something I hadn't seen a lot of up until today. But, I mean, more often than not, if he's putting the ball on the floor, he's turning it over. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I'm, I'm shocked at, at the lack of foot speed, I guess. Like, he, he can't really beat his guy off the dribble. And so, I mean, maybe he recognizes his limitations. But, you know, my question is, if he's limited – 
literally limited to being a spot-up three-point shooter? Why does he get 38 minutes a game? Yeah, I don't get that. It hurts the defense having him out there. It absolutely hurts the defense having him out there. But he, but he rarely, if ever, comes out. Yeah, and I don't get that. I don't, I don't understand why he's he's a given in any rotation and everybody else works around him. I get it that he's your leading scorer and you sort of need need him, <clears> you know, to to score points. But if he's just scoring it based on standing outside the three pointer and shooting threes, Tyler Lydon can do that. Yeah, he had twenty. White had twenty two today. Seven of fifteen shooting. Um, four or seven from beyond the arc, three turnovers. Um, he did have six rebounds, only one assist. Um, thirty-eight minutes though. Um, only well, got one assist is probably what he's averaging. Yeah, yeah, and really, you know, I'm surprised he had one assist. I don't even remember it. I don't remember it either, but it's here in the box score. Um, well, yeah. Let's uh, move it on to topic four, and this was a little... You never know what you're going to get. It was the fourth starting lineup for Bayheim this year, and, you know, geez, I wonder how Coleman's going to play today. Well, guess what? He's, you know, not going to play. He's not going to play at all. <laughs> you know? He's <laughs> not going to play at all. Zero minutes, never took his warm-up off. And, I mean, we follow Syracuse close, but I, and you follow any team, and that doesn't happen. You know, you don't... Don't have a guy who will play potentially thirty minutes, thirty-two minutes, like he played. Uh, was it against Eastern Michigan? Maybe on well, one of the recent game, he played over thirty minutes, and and then at Boston College, he played zero minutes. And you know, I'm, another indication that something's wrong with this team is that Torian Thompson, a true freshman, started at center, and he looks like the best. You know, he looks like the best freshman that we got. Um, He's the third leading scorer on this team. Do you think yeah. for for a second? Would you have thought that at the beginning of the season? No, no. <laughs> Five or 13 shooting um, It today. says less about Torian Thompson than it does about the rest of the team around him. I mean, I like him. I like Edmund out there. I like and him a lot. It, it, it creates a number situation for Coleman, but, man, he couldn't see the floor for 10 minutes or five minutes. or I mean, seriously? I agree. Well, Torian, you know, one weird thing about Torian Thompson, he might be the only player on this whole team that can get his own shot when guarded. Yeah, agree. You know, if you get him the ball anywhere, you know, around the paint, he's going to get up a quality shot. And um, a lot of those uh, five or three shooting today, you know, kind of rimmed out. But he might be the only guy that, you know, you can do that with. Um, so good for him. Sad for Coleman that is a senior that he would have to, you know, experience not playing at all. Um, either the guy's good enough to play and you're going to stick with him through thick and thin Um and he certainly has been through a lot of thick and thin over these five years, or maybe maybe going on six now. I mean, how many I, with an injury and everything? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's to me is shocking. Um, and we've never been huge Coleman fans, but I just can't imagine that he couldn't have been useful out there. Certainly, the guys that were out there weren't getting it done. I'd like to think that at least Coleman, um, you know, is going to try hard. Which <coughs> I don't know how hard. Just to get off the topic here of question number four and just throw it out there, how many times is this team going to get beat in transition? It's the worst <laughs> defensive transition team I've ever seen at Syracuse. Nobody stops the ball. They, we have we'll have numbers. It'll be like one on three at about midcourt, and by the time they get to the rim, it's a wide-open layup because everybody lets them go by. Nobody stops there, the ball. There was one play in particular where, where it was White and Leiden were back, and they, they sliced right through those guys, and each one thought they were covering the ball, and neither of them covered anything, and they just, they just went right straight through them for a wide-open layup. That, that summed up the game to me perfectly. Yeah. I don't understand it. I mean, it's a, it's a, 
it's a reluctance to 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 give an extra effort. I think. I mean, I think they're just it just feels like this going through the motions a little bit. Yeah, and so you wonder: is there something going on? You know, you know. I always wonder this with college kids. You know, how is the chemistry on the team? Is there something going on behind yeah. the scenes that's causing them to not like each other or like playing with each other? I haven't seen anything like that. It wouldn't appear that way. Um, of course, but sometimes it takes it, all. It takes is one guy that you know is is that changes the chemistry of a team. I didn't, you know, I, I couldn't tell you who that guy might be, but you know, if if you're right, if people don't like a, a certain element in the team and that that person's out there on the court a lot. It, it runs people the wrong way, and you know you sort of play in spite of them. I think, and that yeah, it's a it's a that's a fragile thing when it goes. So it comes back to the continuity thing and all the new faces. The more new people you bring in, the less of a chance you're going to have great chemistry. I think. Yeah. Um, so just throwing... well, and, and the fact is that, that you have a five year guy in Daywan Coleman, you have a four year guy in Tyler Roberson, and those guys aren't even on the floor. Right. Roberson Roberson was today, but you know last two or three weeks he hasn't been. And neither is a leadership type of guy. Coleman, you could say, is a leader by example, but neither is a vocal yeah. leader. Um, yeah. And Again, you just, that's 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 Cooney and Benajay that you had from a year ago. That you're that they they miss those guys desperately, not from a basketball standpoint, but from a hey guys, calm down, we got this kind of standpoint. Yeah. Well, um, you mentioned Tyler Roberson and. He, we were most excited about him, maybe, of any player coming into the year thinking he was going to be a typical peak in his senior year, double-double kind of guy. And, you know, and then next thing you know, he's not playing at all. Um, he comes back today and plays good, played hard. You know, one of the few guys that I think played really hard um, and uh, hit the boards uh, pretty good to the tune of 10 rebounds, 11 points on 4-7 shooting. Um to me, to me, this team can't do anything if Tyler Roberson isn't the Tyler Roberson we expected. I mean, I think that's – there's a lot of pieces that have to come into place, but I think that's one of them. I think he needs to act like the senior leader. And, you know, and if you're not going to be a vocal senior leader, then lead by example on the court by giving the kind of effort I think that you gave today. Yeah, I agree. That, that was that was a Roberson that we saw late last year. We saw him, you know, when we saw against Duke with 22 rebounds. You know that that um, you know he break his game feeds off his energy level, and that's you know it becomes pretty obvious in the first couple minutes when he's out there. He's either going through the motions and he's just kind of floating, or he's he's flying all across the court trying to get every rebound he can possibly get his hands on. That's the guy we saw today, and that's the guy that will make this team better. If you can see more of that, I think guys can feed off that. I think that's something they can build on. You know, I, I, I wonder how much of that has to do with that, that dunk he made against Cornell. That, oh, that was sick. Dunk that he had. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it, it, it will be a very limited highlight film this year, but that that's at the top of the list. Yeah, that was maybe the best dunk since C.J. Fair dunked on Georgetown. Yeah, I, yeah, I think you might be right. Um, yeah, so great. We got a great dunk against Cornell. <laughs> <laughs> That's the highlight for 2017. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and again, Tyler Roberson, when his, the book is written on Tyler Roberson, when he's said and gone, it could be, he could be a really irrelevant guy through our program. Um, although he did go to a Final Four last year, but, uh, you know, this is his senior year. It needs to be his team, and he wasn't even playing for a few games there. So uh, he's key. Yeah. He's definitely key. Um, so 
we talked about this being an unprecedented territory for Syracuse. Well, why not throw in a little man-to-man defense? They played a little <laughs> man-to-man defense today, so it's just crazy. And I, to me, when he does that, it bothers me because I don't think he even says it. We don't practice man-to-man. Even if he's practicing a little bit, they're not giving the time to that man-to-man defense that other teams are. I don't think they could ever go exclusively to it. And I, and when I see them not playing well in the zone. Bayheim in his post-game press conference said that it was not an effort thing, but I, it is an effort thing. You got when, when, if you watch any of the tape of that Michael Carter Williams, Brandon Trish team, um, the way they played the two-three zone, I mean, they were trying to prevent the team from getting any shot off. They want they, a they, sh- they denied every pass, every first look that was denied, and it was for the entire shot clock and it was every time down the floor this team just wants the other team to shoot and whether they make it or miss it at least we're going to have the ball again um you know to try to, to try to jack up a three of our own so yeah the, I yeah think, you think andrew white's going to sell out to try and uh try and cut off a passing lane <laughs> right <laughs> and, i've seen it yet and I don't see how going to man-to-man is going to make a difference. These guys are lazy defenders. I can't speak for every single player, but I can certainly speak for all our guards. John Gillen's a little, Gillen is a little undersized, um, you know, in the zone. So I give him a little bit of a pass. But Frank Howard, Tyus Battle, Andrew White, those guys are lazy in the zone. They're too gifted athletically to not be able to close out on any of these shooters or have enough intelligence to um, to see how the play is developing and where the sh- shot's going to come from. I mean, I've seen over the past several games one of the guys at the top of the zone go way down to the corner and then just kind of walk back to the top as a guy sets to shoot a three, in a yeah. wide-open three. I mean, these are wide-open threes, so don't tell me um, that it's not effort because they're wide open. They're not a half a second late. They're a second and a half late. Yeah, yeah. So it's hard to justify. You know, I don't see, I don't see them close out with their hands up every time. I mean, these are fundamental things. You know, I don't see them rotating when they, like you say. I mean, they're they're sort of you know, and and that's this this zone is predicated on rotations. You're not you're you're not stagnant. You're not standing still. But I think they're you know they're there's only a handful that have ever done it prior to this year. So I think that's that's I don't know why. We're here in January now and still struggling with the principles of it. You know, you've had freshmen plugged into this team for years, and they seem to figure it out relatively quickly. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't. I, I'm not opposed to them going man. It's not like these guys have never played man to man before in their life. I think they can probably figure that out a little bit easier than they can figure out the intricacies of this two three zone. And if if you got to the point where they haven't figured it out yet, to me, it's just it's it's more of Coach Beheim's stubbornness of that's who we are, and by God, this is what we're going to do, and we're going to you know die by the hand of you know that feeds us, like whatever metaphor you want to use. It's you know I I, I didn't have an issue with them going man today, and I think it well it, it came out of the press, and so they you know they, they went to a man press and then they <laughs> fell back into the man, and I thought they did okay, and frankly I didn't seem you know it couldn't have been any worse in the zone, honestly. I mean that back line was wide open all day. If you didn't have, you know, ridiculously slow ad, uh, play, unathletic players on the back line for, for Boston College, they'd have had alley-oop after alley-oop today. Yeah, we got a lot of 
some of the blocks came from behind, um, you know, catching up to the play. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, man-to-man zone, it's not going to – going to man-to-man isn't going to all of a sudden make this a winning basketball team. We have a system. These guys need to play the system, but it's a mental thing is commitment to defense. Like, I really believe that these guys – a lot of these guys on the court are just – thinking about offense and defense is something you do um, until you get the ball back. It's not, you know, they don't take it as a challenge to prevent the other team from getting a shot off. Syracuse was, you know, among the best teams in the country in, um, you know, shots per, you know, time left on the shot clock and shot clock violations. Um, And I think that the players on those teams took a little bit of pride in that. And I don't see any pride, you know, whatsoever in anything that's going out there. Really, on, on on offense or defense, but especially on defense, I don't see anybody taking any interest in it, and it's it's tough because we're not going to win. We're not going to win if a team, if any of these teams are going to score eighty, you know, ninety six today. Boston College put up on us. Um, you know, if a team gets into the eighties, they're going to beat us. Yeah, because this team, this, this team against a decent defense can't score more than seventy five. Period. Yeah, and that's if we're, we shoot well from three-point range. Yeah. Well, let's take a look at uh, – we're moving right along here. Topic number seven. Um, and these are such fun topics, you know, <laughs> to talk about for the yeah. new year. Um, and this is a mystery, too. Bring in Eastern Michigan. I'm bringing Cornell. Um, even bring in Monmouth, you know. Um, some decent teams from – low-level conferences or even mid-major conferences and we'll we'll kill them we'll score 100 points you know we'll it'll be fun it'll look like everything's great but bring in any major conference a program you know even if it's a lower you know ranked team in their standings like st john's and or boston college and we just get steamroll it's like a different team and i don't know how you doesn't make any sense to me at all like you know, it really doesn't. It doesn't make any sense to me at all. No, I agree. It's like a Jekyll or Hyde thing, really. They're yeah. like they're they're utterly two different teams. Did you have you ever seen a season where the walk-ons have played more through this point in the season? In you know, the walk-ons are playing in wins and losses. Yeah, right. In losses, you never would see that before. Right. <laughs> of course, against St. John's, he didn't play the walk-ons until about a minute left. He wanted to embarrass his guys up to be on the court, getting dunked on as long as they could. And then, you know, I've heard some people say things like, you know, they should just let put in all the walk-ons and let them play in close games because it can't be worse defense. Well, that's a little crazy. But <laughs> I, I, when the walk-ons came in today, the zone looked pretty stout, I thought. Yeah, they're playing they're, they're playing hard. They're playing hard. I mean, is that really – does this team not play hard? Out there. I'm not sure the rest of the guys do. Bayheim will say things in his press conferences – um, to protect his players during a time like this, I think. Um, and he yeah. insists that they're playing hard, but they're not playing hard. I mean, my God, it's they're not playing hard from the opening tip. They're not playing hard. I think it's no. obvious to anybody watching. You talked about the body language off the top of the show. Um, yeah, you see it. You see it all game long. It's a seventy percent effort, and I don't know why. Don't know why. Yeah, and I mean, I think this team has a confidence problem. They get into these tough games, and I think you know they a couple things don't go their way. Somebody makes an off balance three, some you know 
BC guy hooks some, you know, left-handed hook shot off the glass in the paint today, and it's just like dumb stuff that goes in. And yeah. I think that just bothers him a little more than it should. And I think it just starts to, you know, it starts to snowball on him a little bit. And those things don't happen against these mid-major teams, so they can they can just roll with it. And when when, the when going gets start tough. to go against them, yeah. they don't have the ability to take the step back and and reset. And then it just gets worse. And, and you know, you're, you're playing against more elite-level athletes, teams that can throw a lot more options at you. And maybe that's the thing. Maybe maybe collectively it's not the high-intelligence group where you're playing against a mid-major and they can only do two or three things well, and you're playing against a major team and they can do five or six things well. Yeah. And you can't adapt to the five or six like you can to the two or three that a, you know, a, a South Carolina State or a Cornell can do. Yeah. It's just such a black and white thing. It's it's crazy. It's weird. It is. When the going gets tough, like when the going gets tough, this team does not get going. No. <laughs> you know. No, and as as a Syracuse fan, that's the part that I think hurts the most. Yeah, it hurt. That part hurts. Yeah. And well, I was going to go into something that's a part of our a topic coming up here. So let's roll on here because we, when we get to the trivia question, that might be a little relief for Cuse fans here or is that gonna that, <laughs> no it, it. Yeah, I had a feeling it was gonna be based on historical bad Bayheim teams is that true or, <laughs> um so anyways yeah let's move it on here and we talked preseason about this team and Bayheim talked about it about how it's the best team he's had and we talked about how deep they were it's gonna be unlike any other Syracuse team because he's gonna play nine and if somebody's not there the next guy's gonna step up and um, and we had a seven-two center who's now, you know, out indefinitely, uh, who wasn't that good anyways to begin with. And we were so wrong about this team. And you know, I put this up there as a question: Was this team overhyped in the preseason? But obviously, obviously, they were madly overhyped. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not only by Coach Bayheim, but by us. If you go back to the first couple of shows. Yeah, yeah, after they won a few, we were talking about undefeated. And, right. You know. We're talking about Final Fours and what's the ceiling for this team. I mean, that that, that has flipped so 180 degrees on this on this group. And, so, I mean, I think we fed off of what Coach Bayheim was saying. And, you know, when he comes out in the preseason and says, this is one of the best groups he's had. Yeah, he never says that. You're to believe it. He never says that, anything no, like that. No, he never says that. He downplays it every year. Best teams he's downplayed. Tyus Battle you know, was going to go to the, you know, was going to play and in the NBA next year, um, you know yeah. that was a foregone conclusion. Even Tyler Lydon right now, um, you know, I haven't looked at any draft mock drafts, but I don't know how this play for, for Syracuse has affected his draft stock. Um, geez, I hope one but side. Does wanna, but does he want to come back to this dumpster fire next year? You think? Yeah, I mean they they they're going to have to turn it around. Um, they're going to have to. They just can't continue to go this bad, can it? But I look at all the things we saw in the preseason, and they're still there. It's all a matter. Uh, to me, it's a big part of its effort, and another big part of it is execution um, and approach. So, you know, I don't know. Can they turn around? They definitely were overhyped, but we couldn't have been that far off, right? We couldn't have been that far off. This team can become that t- team. Can this team become that team that we thought they were going to be? No. Yeah. I, I think here's 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 the issue. I mean, I they've got all the pieces to be a very good team. They have good, quick point guards that are are 
well, at least Howard's has always been a pass first point guard, and Gillen can be too, but he likes to get to the rim also. You've got shooters, you've got slashers, and Tyus Battle, and and you got a rebounder in Roberson, and you got the all around you know future star in Tyler Lydon, and you've got capable big guys in Thompson who was a surprise. We didn't even expect what we we're getting from him, and Coleman who you know we thought we'd probably see him on the court more, but still gives you you know six to eight to ten points when he's out there. And you thought you had, we thought we had Chukwu as the, you know, the anchor of the zone and seven foot two, nobody scoring inside. And, you know, so when in the preseason, all the pieces were there and it seemed like if you're, if you're putting a puzzle together, you've got everything you need. The thing you never know until you see them on the court and you see them in a crisis situation is how they're going to, how the chemistry is and how, and where the leadership comes from and the level of toughness that you have. When you when you have to deal with a deficit, and you have to come back against a tough team, a tough opponent on the road. You don't, you can't gauge any of those things. But is all is, I, is, is that for stuff? Years, you would hope he'd see it, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess is all that stuff though? Is all that stuff you talk the toughness and the chemistry? Is all that? Is that something that these guys can capture and turn around, or is that just inherent of their personalities individually and ultimately as a team? Or is that this team's personality, can can that can it turn around? Bam's turned things around before. I mean, do you think they can turn it around? I mean, I don't think you think I, they I, can. Honestly, I, seeing what I see from this group, I don't know where it comes from. You would have hoped they would have turned it around today. ACC play starts today, chance for redemption you finish in the top half of the ACC, everything's probably okay going forward into the NCAA tournament. You lose to Boston College, a team that everybody else is going to notch up a win against, and you're already behind the eight ball. And we were handed a little gift with Virginia Tech beating Duke and uh, you know North Carolina losing and, yeah. and Virginia losing, and we lost too. Man, all that means is this, this conference is even deeper than we probably thought it was in the first place. Yeah, and it's... Well, speaking of the conference, another indicator of what's going wrong with our program is the fact that we've been in another conference now for a few years. And, uh, you know, I said it before we ever moved. This is a bad move for our basketball program. Football aside and all the athletic program aside, basketball, essentially, this was a bad move for us. We're going to lose our identity as a northeastern power when we move to this southern league and you know to me this is it i mean it's it's, i think it's harder for syracuse to recruit people to play in syracuse in the acc than it was to get them in the big east when they were playing predominantly northeastern schools traditional rivals um i i i think for a lot of reasons not just the recruiting but also you know our treatment by the league, not that it's been overtly bad or anything. It's just that we're just another team. When we were in the Big East, Syracuse was a founding member and a leader that other schools in the league looked to and rooted for. And, you know, I think that the move to the ACC has cost us a lot of our identity, and we're starting to see that um, on the court, unfortunately. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I, it's, it's, I think it's a harder, harder recruiting pitch, honestly. To, to the, the typical recruitment areas that Syracuse goes after. Right. The, the kids from the city, the kids from New Jersey, Philadelphia, Detroit. You know, those kids don't grow up watching ACC as much as they did Big East, and it's, it's, it's a different equation now for them. Um, I, yeah, they've, they've absolutely lost their identity. 
And, and, uh, and you go and look at, uh, you know, you you say to a kid, well, you know, come to Syracuse, you're going to play against Duke. Well, you know, go to Georgia Tech, you're going to play against Duke. Go to right. Pittsburgh, you're, go, go to stupid Boston College, you're going to play against Duke. That's not the fact that you play Duke or Carolina is not a recruiting advantage for Syracuse. It was, hey, you're going to play UConn, you're going to play Villanova, you're going to play Georgetown. You're going to be on these big Monday showcases to the entire country at 7 o'clock on Monday nights. You're going to play at Madison Square Garden for a week in March. It's one of the best uh, weeks of the yep, year. Yep, yep, that's exactly right, exactly right. And there's no differentiation except for our giant arena um, and I suppose our Hall of Fame coach that separates us from North Carolina State or Wake Forest or Georgia Tech or even Virginia Tech or Miami now. I mean, it's... Yeah, once Bayheim goes, then what are you left with? <laughs> All right, we're running out of time here, and let's put the put this right on the man when Bayheim goes. I bet you there's some people that think that Bayheim should go now that he's kind of lost, it, that he's over the hill, and it's time for him to step aside because he can't relate to these players or his system is outdated. I don't know what it is, but what do you think? How much of the blame for this particular team goes to Coach Bayheim? I don't think he's completely blameless, but I wouldn't say that it's all on him. I mean, he's not the one that told Tyler Ennis to go pro. Yeah. That who would have been a senior on this team. Mm -hmm. uh, he's not, well, maybe, maybe he was, maybe he wasn't the one that pushed Caleb Joseph and BJ Johnson out of the program. Those guys would be quality contributors this year, I think, based on what we've seen. Yeah, maybe, um, maybe. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's he's got a proven defensive system that the team's not thriving under um you know he's had he's had to deal with the sanctions he's had to deal with loss of scholarships he's trying to plug pieces in he's had to put fifth year guys in just purely by need mm -hmm. which has done better than what the alternative would have been which was to grab sort of a mid-tier you know three-star freshman who probably wouldn't be able to contribute even to the degree that gillen and, and white are so i don't think that's necessarily a negative on him i think so de I mean, defensively, I think you know he's. I don't see any any issue with what Coach Behan's doing offensively. Man, this team does nothing offensively. I, know I challenge you, Jim, to go back and watch a game, watch a national championship game, watch games from the '80s, watch games from even five years ago, and the you know the thirty-one, the thirty-four and three team that was one, probably one of the best teams in the history of this program. Watch how they move without the ball. Watch how the ball goes inside out. Watch how they use low posts. Yeah. And all they're doing, it, 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 there's three or four guys above the three-point line. They barely get the ball below the three-point line, or below the foul line, right? Yeah. Foul line extended, ever. I mean, it's just, pick and rolls just all around the perimeter and hope for a high ball screen so they can, they can you know, get, a, get a, a pick and pop. Yeah, I agree with that. that. That offensive scheme does not make sense. He's falling in love with that high pick. Enroll, and maybe that's from having been involved with the uh, with the Olympic team and working with the NBA guys because that's an NBA style offense, which is great when you got elite level athletes. We don't have that here right now. Yeah, or go to something else though. You know, yeah. I mean, that's like all we got. They don't have a plan B or a plan C. Right, right, um, and certainly I would think that maybe you you start by establishing some interior play with Leiden and Torian Thompson or Coleman or Roberson, if you can, some type of offense to get them the ball near the post um, instead of at the foul line. And then that opens up. Then you can do the high pick and rolls and you mix something else in. But this team's so easily easy to defend. And it's, yeah. 
And so, yeah, you got to blame Beheim for that. You, you know, come on, show us something. You, you got all this talent that you brought to the hill, and I don't think you're putting them in the best position. But the best offense is a good defense, and when the defense is that bad, if, you know, you struggle just a little bit on offense, you're getting blown out. And so I still it goes back to the defense, and I – can't blame Beheim because I know he's teaching the same system that he's taught when we were one of the best defensive teams in the country, and these guys just aren't buying in. So if anything, I might blame Beheim for not being able to motivate his these guys. Uh, maybe his motivation tactics that he uses historically are not working anymore. I mean, how many starting lineup changes can you have? How many guys can you bench? You know, how can you between Coleman and Roberson? They they don't know when they suit up if they're playing 34 minutes or zero minutes you know how can you prepare mentally for a game like that um and then you sit there and you watch andrew white just jack it up and and you're wondering yourself like when's he gonna bench andrew white or you watch frank howard just totally give away ball games back before this really took a turn for the worse we were in some games that connecticut game's a prime example where frank howard almost single-handedly gave that game away and you know, and he's still getting his minutes. So, yeah. so yeah, I, I you, look. It's college basketball. The program is the coach, and so Bayham's got to take some of the blame for this. But when you have such a you know sterling record over so many years, you know you can give a guy a pass. You can have a bad team now and then. Bayham's bad teams were never even had losing records you know so many 20 win seasons we take it for granted so i'm gonna blame i will blame Bayheim for this particular team not being as good as we'd hope but i still wouldn't trade jim Bayheim for any now there's a good question would you trade jim Bayheim for any other coach because i honestly wouldn't do it um but I bet you a lot of Syracuse fans would. I bet you a lot of Syracuse fans like the idea of Rick Patino maybe being Syracuse's coach since, you know, back if their change was made in the mid-'80s um, or, or around 1990 if they hired Patino. I bet you a lot of folks would like that. You know, a lot of Syracuse fans would prefer that. Even though they can appreciate what Bayheim's done, I bet you that they feel that there's a better option. I'm not one of those guys. Well, we're about to find out. Yeah, well – yeah, well, we're we're really running late because we went ten big topics. So let's get here uh, right away into Connor's Corner trivia, Brad. What do you have for me for the first segment of Connor's Corner trivia of the year of the new year? Yeah, you guessed it right. Um, the theme of our trivia tonight is the futility that we've seen in the history of this program. So I hope that Syracuse over the course of the rest of the next two months doesn't set any of these futility records that I'm about to uh, throw at you, but <laughs> at this point, anything's in play. Okay, well, hit me. What's the most losses that Syracuse has had in the Jim Beheim era in one season? Oh, geez, I know we had 14 losses um, last year when we went to the Final Four, and that's a lot for Syracuse, 14. I don't know if we've ever had more than 14 um, especially, it's funny, the team went to the Final Four. I know that the year before that, when we were banned, we, that wasn't a good year. We only had 18 wins. I don't remember how many losses we had, but we played a lot less games, so I don't think we had four. I'm going to say 14 last year. 14 is correct. 14 has been done twice. Oh, yeah? Last year, Final Four year. But, yeah, they were 23 and 14 last year. 
The other uh, 14 lost team was in 2008. Hmm. The Dante the Dante Green team that won 20 games, right? They were 21 and 14. Yeah, they won a Missed few games. Tournament, and that was that was the the back to back NIT teams. That was the second of two years where the first year they they should have made the tournament, and you know everyone kind of had them penciled in, and then somehow they didn't make it. That yeah. next year, the, no one no one penciled them in. Uh, we were all resigned to the NIT, and that's exactly what happened. And that's how they got their twenty wins. They won a couple games in the NIT, probably. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. All right. What um and and then you mentioned two years ago when they were banned from the postseason, they were eighteen and thirteen. Thirteen. So they only, okay. They, they didn't have fourteen losses, but yeah, it was one of the few um, that they didn't have twenty wins. So this has been a two-year thing, you know, thirteen, fourteen losses last two years, and on our way to more than fourteen this year, right? On our way to more than fourteen this year. It would seem that way, yeah. Mm. Yeah. All right. On that point, what's the most losses in the history of this program in one season? So going back before Bayheim, geez, I have yeah. no idea, but I know that they were terrible before Dave Bing got here, which would have been, what, the 1950s, late 1950s. Didn't play as many games back then either. Um, but I remember, yeah, actually, when my, when my father went to school at Syracuse, that I know that they only won two games one year. He said that the everybody, which Dave Bing's freshman year, the varsity team, I think only won two games. And so everybody would show up for the freshman game because back then they used to play freshman games. And then when the varsity game, they'd show up for the freshman game, watch Dave Bing play, and then they'd leave for the actual game, Syracuse game. <laughs> so I'm going to say that year, um, the year before Dave Bing arrived, they had two wins. I don't have any idea how many losses they had, but it must have been about 19 or 20. So that's a good call. So 1962... <clears throat> This team went two and twenty-two. And that was the worst, the worst, uh, worst winning percentage they've had in the program's history, and the most losses in one season they've had. Was that team. Fred Lewis coaching that team too? Or? No. So that was the last year of the legendary Mark Gooley as the head coach. He was he was uh, that was his last year. Fred Lewis came in in '63. So in, in 63, Fred Lewis came in, and, then, and that was the year that Dave Bing was on the freshman team. Ah, gotcha. They, they were 8-13 and 13 that year. That was the year probably your dad was referring to. And then when Dave Bing was eligible as a sophomore in 64, they went 17-8, and eight, went to the NIT, and then kind of took off from there. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So What's the worst winning percentage that this team has had in Jim Beheim era? The worst winning percentage in the Bay. Right, I mean, yeah, worst, worst record. All right, I'm going to say that 18 and 13 team. Then that makes sense, right? That's a bad uh, winning percentage. That would make sense. That's not. That's not the worst though. Oh wow, there's a worse team than that. Yes. Um. Well, there's another year that we didn't. Well, if we if he only lost 14 games max. And they only had 18 wins that year. How could it? What was? What, what, doing math on the, uh, Yeah, season. what? I have no idea. You're gonna have to give me this one. In 1982, this team went 16 and 13. Hmm. 82. Was 82. that the? Was that the year that they won the Big East tournament and then? No, did... no, that was 81. Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. In 81, they finished 22 and 12, and won the won the Big East tournament at the Dome in the triple overtime game when Routen stiffed it in against Villanova. And that year they lost the finals of the NIT. In '82 they went to the NIT. Then um, only I think they won one game in the NIT. Hmm. So yeah, so that was that's the worst winning percentage. So obviously Coach Bayheim's never had a losing record at Syracuse. 
or at any level for that matter. Um, as close as it's been is a 16 and 13, and <laughs> that's a that's a play right now. This team's eight and six right now. 16 and 13 is a 552 winning percentage. This team right now has a 571 winning percentage, and they've only played one conference game. We have, so how many losses do we have? Six or seven? Six. six. Eight and six right now. Okay. Well, that's good for a second there. Where I was thinking they had seven, but it is only six, so it's getting better already. <laughs> We're on the upswing. Any more of these sad, sad trivia questions? Yeah, I got a lot of them. Okay. When was the last time Syracuse, when eligible, did not qualify for either the NCAAs or the NIT? Oh, man. It had to be in the 70s, the late 70s. No? Uh, not no. counting seasons we were ineligible for the postseason, obviously. Right. Right. No, you got to go even further back than that. Hmm. Oh, probably like the early 70s, 71, 72, or even before yeah, that. 1970. Okay. Roy Danforth's second season, they were 12 and 12 and didn't qualify for, for either either tournament. 71 and 72, they went to the NIT. And then in 73, they started a stretch where they were in the NCAAs for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight straight years before they missed it on the when they won the Big East, but the Big East didn't have the automatic bid. In eight, All right. So yeah, so we got to go back to 1970 for this team not to be in the NCAA or NIT. And as, as it stands right now, it could happen. This team, this team will be lucky to make the NIT at this point. Yeah, they might get a pass just because they think we'll fill some seats, but I think interest will wane pretty quickly at this pace. Um, but I think the NIT also requires a team to have a 500 record, if I'm not mistaken. Jesus, well, can you imagine that? Yeah. All right, give me one more. We're running short on time here. Uh, okay. Um, when was the uh, the last time Syracuse had a losing record in conference? Hmm. Go back to those early, that 1982-83 team. I think we've always been at least 500 in the Big East. Maybe not, though. Maybe not. I, geez, this is a tough one. I can't, I can't fathom a guess here. So this is a crazy one. That's why, that's why I wanted to, wanted to give you this one. The last time that they had a losing conference record was 2006, Jerry McNamara's senior year. Oh, yeah. Whereas we all know they wouldn't have won 10 games without Jerry McNamara there. But they went on a run to the Big East Championship in the tournament. Well, that... So, so, so there's another element to this question. There's one other time where this team had a losing conference record in, in the Jim Beheim era. Well, in, in, in any era, because they didn't have conferences prior to Bayheim being there. Right. 1981. And what happened in 81? They won the Big East they tournament. Went six and eight, six and eight in the regular season in the Big East, and they, and they won the tournament. Wow. Hey, ACC tournament's right around the corner. I guess that's <laughs> a testament to Bayheim. Oh, actually, it's a testament to Leo Routens and Jerry McNamara. <laughs> probably, probably more so than that, and the fact that they had they they had the, the luxury of playing the eighty one Big East tournament at home in the Carry Dome in the Dome triple overtime against Villanova Leo Routens. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we are running really tight here, so let's quickly get to two for the road, and um, just looking up the upcoming schedule: Wednesday at home against Miami at seven o'clock, Saturday at home against Pittsburgh at noon. Jamie Dixon won't be there. So, you know, we can write the ship with two home wins and, and we'll be 2-1 and one in the ACC and we can look forward. A lot can change in the week. 
Um, but I'm also interested to see the turnout for these games, um, especially that Wednesday night Miami. It could be could it be an all time low attendance mark? Um, I will have to see. Um, yeah, I was wondering that the other day. Are they going to get in a thirty thousand? fan game this season. They didn't have any last year. Well, Pittsburgh used to pack them in when it was a Big East game, Saturday noon game against Pittsburgh. That's normally pushing 30,000. Um, well, we'll see. Uh, but those are the two games that they'll play before we meet here again. Um, so, quick prediction as we head out of here. How many games will we win in the ACC this year? I'm going to say six. I think we'll win games. I, th- I think by nature... You know that we'll we'll we gotta improve. If we if we do improve, we can win games. I'm gonna say six games, maybe seven. I'm gonna say four. Yeah, four and fourteen. Oh, jeez. I know it. Unprecedented. Um, that, that's I, un- I, you know, I, I I look at that right there, and I don't see a single game that jumps out at me. None of them are winnable if you can't maybe beat Boston OBC. College. Yeah, you, OBC would be the only one that jumps out at me. That team just they, beat us. They lost by. They, they they got stomped by today. Yeah, they got crushed so if you can't beat bc you know, they play wake at home i mean that's that's doable right i mean that's an option well yeah look for it that'll be a big one <laughs> i mean i mean there, there aren't that many honestly i mean yeah they'll somebody will you know they'll, they'll they'll shoot lights out in a game hopefully and win one of those i mean you know there's a couple of chances but man i don't see any glimmers of hope that based on what they've done against talented teams and this this conference is looking deeper and deeper every time we see the results and we see a Duke lose or a Carolina lose and a Virginia Tech win and a Georgia I mean Georgia Tech beating North Carolina. Yeah, well, I will say this though, and those wins by those teams are evidence is that it's a more of a level playing field across college basketball, and we've seen this team play good against some lesser opponents. If they can bring that type of game to some of these tougher games, not that BC on the road should ever be tough, but. There is hope for this team, and so don't give up hope. Keep watching the podcast. Keep watching this Q's team. Um, I'm going to cross my fingers and be a half grass, glass full kind of guy and say that we can we can do it. We can turn I'm it around. We can turn I, it around. I expect nothing less. So, um, you know, I'll be watching Wednesday night when Miami comes to town. So, um, Brad, Happy New Year to you and your family. Um, Thank you. Thank you. It's nice to be back talking Q-Soups, even if it is uh, under ideal circumstances. Yeah. So, um, you can – and thanks, everybody, for tuning in here. I bet you some people were looking forward to tonight's show just because uh, they were so mad they wanted to hear some people vent. So, I hope we provided enough (laughs) of that relief. Um, and you can subscribe to our feed on iTunes, Stitcher.com, YouTube, or via RSS. We're online at fingerlakes1.tv slash upstateorange. We'll be back next Sunday night at 9.15. So for the Professor Brad Connor, I'm Jim Sinekropi. Uh Have a great week, and let's go orange. <laughs>